First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, one and all, to the Joan Hamburg Show. I have not talked to Christopher Anderson in a while, and he has written a brand new book called, and he's a best-selling author, this book is called The King, The Life of Charles III, and it's a portrait of someone that we think we know, but we really didn't know him. Charles, who finally, as an older man, is going to um, be the king. I mean, how many years? And Chris Anderson, who has written at least 18 bestsellers, selling all over the world, two of his books, um, The Day John Died, that's about JFK Jr., and The Day Diana Died, were number one for a long time. And Chris Anderson was um, the contributing editor of Time, a senior editor of People. He's done amazing things. And The Life of Charles was a real read. I mean, I picked it up and I couldn't put it down. We think we know everything, but we knew nothing. And it was a fascinating look, too, at the monarchy and about all the characters in it, about Lady Diana as well, Camilla, Parker, all of it. So I'm curious, and welcome to you, Chris. What oh, made great you... to be back. I know, it's been, it's been a while, but... You what are one made... of my favorite people, you know that. Well, we've had a good time over the years. We have, absolutely. So what what happened that made you decide to take a look behind the curtain at King Charles? Well, let me tell you, this book was quite the saga. You know, I um, my last book was Brothers and Wives, which is about uh, uh, William and Harry and the rift between them, but um, and and Kate and Meghan, of course. But I wrote The King over a five-year period, and then, of, of course, knowing that at some point he would become king. Um, and if you like a little personal thing, I woke up every morning for the last year or two years thinking, oh, my gosh, my wife's going to come in and say, well, the queen has either abdicated or passed away, so you're going to have to really, oh, you know, gosh. finish up this book. But what happened was she looked perfectly good when she uh, met Liz uh, Trust, the then prime minister, and I thought, well, I can take a, a get on a ship and go to the Baltic and do this thing I've wanted. So I got on a ship. The minute we got on the ship, uh, the queen passed away. <laughs> So Unreal, was, right? Yeah. yeah. So I was, I was I literally at sea uh, doing, uh, uh, you know, a, a press and interviews and things like that about the Queen's passing. But look, you're right. Charles has been waiting for seventy years for this oh. job, and and uh, all that time he was right next to the Queen. But you know, uh, he was in the spotlight like she was. But we never really got to know him. And I, I think people would be fascinated to to learn what I discovered about everything from his huge temper uh, and the tantrums he's thrown and uh, to, of course, all the women in his life and, and all the obstacles, his childhood, heartbreaking, really. Uh, no, it is. And, and the fact, too, that he, what he wanted, he got. And mm-hmm. if he didn't, he went a little berserk. But that's yes. the way, right? He was brought up. It's, you you yes. want it, it's yours. Exactly, exactly. And he was, and, and again, when I, when I talked just a little 
a tidbit here, but about his tantrums. I mean, uh, one time he uh, his cufflink went down the sink, and he literally flew into a rage and tore the the mm. uh, uh, sink off the wall. Now he did this twice in anger. Uh, he tried to strangle one of his uh, valets. He tried to uh, uh, he chased one into the uh, who was so terrified into a closet. The guy locked himself in a closet to get away from the then prince. Um, you know, he hurled things at Diana and at other people in fits of anger um, because, you know, that's he's always been used to getting his, his way. But I do think it stems from having been this lonely child. You know, he was, you know, there's that point, you know, he always talked about how his mother was aloof and cold. Right, and, his father ignored him completely. Right, his father, and, and when he did pay attention to him, his father was a, a bully. You know, he, he literally reduced Charles to tears in front of people routinely uh, into his the teenage years. And so uh, Charles, uh, he was farmed out to horrible schools, one in particular, Gordonstown, where he was beaten and we'd call it, you know, abuse, child abuse today, uh, what he underwent there from other students. Wow. And yet, yeah. do you think... And we'll jump ahead and then go backwards a little bit. But Mm -hmm. do you think that at this point that he has become or grown into being a real person? Or did that, what what we can call abuse, both at school and at home, where despite the fact he was royal, he was really belittled and threatened by everyone, classmates, the whole thing. Has he grown in to being King Charles? Well, I think there are moments. I, I, yes, I do believe to some extent he has, and he certainly relies very heavily on Camilla. Um, but, uh, you know, there are these flashes of temper and patience. For example, we saw it just recently when he took over. Uh, you know, he, he, there he is, first days as king. He has to sign some papers in Scotland. And uh, the you, you may recall the uh, assistant that didn't move fast enough to clear the desk. And, uh, and, and the prince had a little hissy fit there, you know. And when the eyes of the world are on you, <laughs> you know, at this moment in history, and you can't control your, your temper to that extent, uh, it does not bode well. So uh, he did handle, by the way, the other day, having uh, people pelt him with eggs in York, when he was out there with Camilla uh, in the city of York in England, uh, he managed to keep his cool when that happened. But he, I'm sure he, he flew into a rage later on behind closed doors. And Camilla herself is a piece of work. I mean, <laughs> I mean that was a really interesting portrait of a woman who was a mistress and was proud of her relative being a mistress. And it, despite the fact that she knew what was going on and his marriage and his kids and everything else, she just soldiered on. Right. And, and you know, it's interesting. You hit the nail on the head there with the reference to wanting to be a mistress. It was this, you know, her great-grandmother great was Alice Keppel, who was the mistress to Edward VII. And uh, even when Edward VII died, Queen Alexandra, who was very popular, summoned uh, Alice Keppel, to the king's bedside, because that was the woman he really loved, and even the queen knew it. So 
even as a little girl, Camilla would talk about her great-grandmother, the king's mistress, and brag about it. Um, Lynn Redgrave was at her school at the same time, and she, she told me <laughs> some interesting stories, mm. the, the actors. Um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, she set out to be the mistress, the first, the opening line, uh, practically, to, uh, to Charles when Camilla met him in 1971 was, you know, my great-grandmother and your um, great-great-grandfather were lovers, so how about it? Right, right there, right there. Right there, right there. And then later on, when she was, uh, actually she had a brief time, even though she was an aristocrat granddaughter of a baron uh, and didn't have to work, she did do a little stint working and she had roommates and uh, the roommates were marrying lords and dukes and whatever and they said, why aren't you marrying a lord? And she said, I'm holding out for a king. (laughs) Which she did. Which which she did. But it was also interesting that the children, the now grown-up children, who are probably so revered in England, also have their tempers and their little problems. And what do you think? I mean, everyone thinks of William as this dear, darling, you know, loving guy, but that kid's been through a lot, and he also manifested it in many ways. Oh, yes. I do write about that too, and he does have a temper as well, and he it can he has these dark moods. Uh, he went through a lot of. Uh, of course, it didn't help when he became an ambulance, an air ambulance pilot, and then he got to see real tragedy up close. Mm. To, you know, taking uh, um, you know tr- victims of traffic accidents and uh, injured right. children to the hospital, that sort of thing. That plunged him more into sort of a, a depression. Um, but uh, I think the defining moment, as far as both the boys are concerned, uh, Harry and William, was when they walked behind their mother's coffin. Yeah, and that I think was that, terrible. It was terrible. They were forced to do this, and they didn't want to do it. And Charles really had a big role in forcing them to do it, as did Philip. And then now they ser- they kind of suffer from PTSD, you know. They say, Post-traumatic. Uh, Harry has said, yeah, Harry says when he flies into London, it's a, it's a triggering experience because all he can think of is that, that day. Uh, and Charles, I think, feels guilty about it. Right. I'm sure I'm sure he does. But it's it's also amazing that Charles with all his loneliness and all his rejection by his peers and even by his family had a ton of women or lovers and just took what he wanted. It was like being let loose in a bakery. Right. <laughs> well he was uh, yeah and that's pretty uh, kind of a controversial passages in the book, too, about how a friend of his, a polo uh, player, uh, would actually, uh, a guy who was on his polo team, would actually go and kind of, uh, you know, get women for him and bring them back to the this farmhouse. And, uh, and uh, you know, Charles, who was getting over the fact that Camilla left him to marry Andrew Parker Bowles, uh, you know, had, uh, you know, was involved with a lot of women. Uh in the end, it was two of his mistresses, uh, Camilla and Lady Kanga Tryon, who actually picked out Diana to be mm-hmm. his wife. You know, it was kind of a sick situation, but that's what they did. They did a list of ten appropriate young women to be the mother of the future king, and uh, uh, Diana was always at the head of the list. So she, she was handpicked by Camilla. Yeah. Do you yeah. think, now that you've finished, I'm talking to Christopher Anderson, the king, 
the life of Charles III. Do you think he's happy with her? Sometimes, you know, be careful of what you wish for. <laughs> well, with Camilla? Yeah. Yes, well, I think it's, you know, it's uh, somebody, I love the line, they said uh, he, uh, the mistake Charles made was that he married his trophy wife first. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> you know, nobody could figure out how he could possibly pick Camilla over, over the beautiful and Right, and charming Diana. and caring oh, Diana. Everything. Everything, and I and he's still in her shadow, isn't he? I mean, they both still are. That's the the thing. But yeah, I do think they're peas in a pod. You know, that's what Camilla said once. She and, and uh, Charles are that they just from the moment they met, uh, they clicked, and you can't get around that. Diana found she couldn't either, and uh, I don't think she's clicked with the British people. That's the difference here. And I I know that when Charles, uh, you know, promised not to to make her queen. That was part of the deal to get convince the queen to let him even right. marry Camilla. Uh, she's going to be princess consort. And, uh, you know, he reneged on that promise. I always said he would. I knew he would never stick to that because he would think it was insulting for his wife not to be queen, whoever she was. Um, and that's another thing. People think it's a lesser title. Well, no, you can get rid of the consort because just like Elizabeth's mother during World War II was Queen Elizabeth, she later became the queen mother, but when you're married to the monarch, yeah. you're the queen. And that's what Camilla is. Right, and and yeah. nothing is going to take that away. She actually nope. looks a lot better, but the public still hasn't um, taken her. No, no. And, well, the queen, of course, endorsed her at one point. And um, earlier this year, after 17 years of uh, uh, Charles nagging her, I don't know if you remember the the wedding of Charles and Camilla, but there was that astounding time when they had to get down on their knees in front of the Archbishop of Canterbury and um, beg forgiveness for their um, sins, mani- our yeah. manifold sins and wickedness, which I think is a great line, huh. and really just, you know, prostrate themselves. Uh, and it was humiliating, but they were, and Charles was willing to do all of this if it meant, and promised that she'd never be queen, if it meant that he'd uh, finally get to marry Camilla. I, again, I don't think, I think it's one thing to say she's going to be queen. Um, it's another thing to see it because right. the coronation's May 6th. Mm. There will be in uh, two thrones in Westminster Abbey. The queen's, the consort's throne is one inch, exactly one inch shorter than the sovereign throne. And they will place this magnificent crown on Camilla's head and she will be trembling, I'm sure. But it's not going to sit well, I don't think, right. with the people, because you know, eighty-six percent of the British people said as recently as eleven months ago that they did not, they would not accept her as their queen. So we'll see. And you wonder how the boys really feel about it. Oh, exactly. You know, they they went out of their way to make Papa happy. You know, it was William was the one who, as a teenager, uh, you know, after. Uh, couple of years after his mother's death, actually went in and introduced himself to Camilla, uh, you know, to try and break the ice because he knew this was the woman his father loved and he wanted his father to be happy. But they don't want her to replace Diana. Ever, you know? right. And uh, in history, let's say, because you know, from now on, it's going to be uh, the Camilla show. And it's uh, it just, I think they, they were blindsided by this. They believed their father would keep his word. And abruptly, you know, he this decision was made just last February, so to make her queen. Do you think that William has a happy life? You know, superficially, it looks 
lovely, perfect, you know, sure. great kids, a charming wife, good in-laws. Um, but it's hard to tell because you more than most people know about the family and what goes on. Right. I think he's lucky uh, to have uh, Kate Middleton, who is a kind of a steadying force. She's, I think she's unfairly criticism as, criticized as a kind of a, you know, first of all, everyone says she's way too thin. Well, <laughs> way they're, too they're jealous, right. I think they're jealous, right. <laughs> I think that she's gorgeous and uh, and really in control of her life and does seem to have a sense of humor and is a happy person. Char- uh, she does not have the hatred of the press that uh, William has. He he blames them still for the, his mother's death, and it's just really... Uh, well, we can uh, understand that. never gone away. So in that sense, I think he always feels somewhat under the gun. And also, as you said, you know, these people are going to have to, they're going to the rest of their lives is, are predetermined, pretty much. Harry has pointed that out. They're, they're trapped in a gilded cage, in, in essence. But it's one heck of a cage. And I think most people feel that, right. see them as pampered, you know. Right. And, and, and a lot of people wonder, if Harry didn't make a lot of um, mistakes, you know, he had a pretty good life as right. a prince. And now he's suddenly estranged from the family and there's all kinds of gossip about the book that may or may not be. Mm-hmm. And he's got a lot of issues. He can't be, be a happy right. time for him. No, it can't be. He's he's clearly, in my opinion, unhappy. I mean, that's, uh, he's trying to make... I think, uh, you know, happy wife, happy life. But in his case, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, you know, it's not to give up, uh, you know. What he had. Uh, yes. I mean, to have all that he had and give it up to be uh, an influencer, you know. Um, it just doesn't seem like it was, uh, he got the best part of the bargain. No. And he is alienated. I mean, look what the royal family did. They embraced Megan. They really did in a major way. I, I remember the when the queen went on that trip with her, with Megan, um, they they got on the royal train and they went up to Northwest England and there were wonderful pictures of the Queen just la- laughing her head off. She had a great time with mm-hmm. Megan. She liked Megan a lot. And Charles walked her up the aisle when her when Megan's father didn't show. You know, uh, she, he befriended Megan's mom and 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 I think there was real affection there. And all of a sudden, boom! You know, yeah, like all these accusations coming from Montecito. But you know. Um... I know a lot of people who have worked with her mm-hmm. and who know her very well, including college roommates. One of them was one of our interns uh, uh-huh. a while ago. And not a bad word about her. They all thought she was great, mm-hmm. fun and loyal and lively. Mm-hmm. So it, it's interesting when you look at all this cast of characters. Will it Charles, and you think so too, I do too. I, I totally see that. But I also, and I think she has a. By the time some of these comments got to to her about race and whatnot, they did seem toxic and and wrong and and uh, and hurtful. And I think she was in a real pressure cooker. Yeah. Uh, but uh, by the same token, um, it would be nice to see everybody just put down their weapons exactly. for two minutes, uh, so to speak. And- and see if they can reach some sort of accommodation. Right, and, and live their lives. Is Charles going to be a good king, in your opinion? This is all guessing, of course. There's no Oh, well, you know, role. I think the first mistake people are making is to think he's going to be a, a placeholder. 
king because of his uh-huh. age. Because I, first of all, you have the longevity of the, of the Windsors. I mean, my God, right. he could very easily be on that throne for years, twenty-five years, uh-huh. <laughs> many years. And uh, he's seventy-seven. If he lived as long as his mother, he, he would be, you know, uh, twenty years. Mm. Um, but um, he uh, is going to be an activist king. I think he's going to do things to streamline the monarchy. I think he's going to kick some royals off the payroll. I think he's going to rattle some cages, though, in that process, and uh, rub some people the wrong way, for another analogy. Uh, He's not supposed to interfere in politics, not supposed to have opinions, but he's loaded with opinions. So what are you working on now? I know you always— You know I never say. I know. But (laughs) is it— I don't want to tip people off too early, because sources then go running into the the woods. Into hiding. I know, but— we have royals left. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Don't worry. I've got There's a lot. sights on somebody. Okay. Well, I'm excited for you and for us. It was really a good read. Oh, great. Thank you. Enjoyed it. And a fascinating look at this tortured guy who does seem a little bit happier now, but we'll see. Take care of yourself. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you've been listening to uh, Christopher Anderson and his brand new book, The King. The Life of Charles III. I'm Joan Hamburg, and much more ahead on WABC.